0: Well, we had more troubles with recording, so I'm going to be uh, re-recording the Doorway to Heaven sermon I gave on the 28th of October. Just want to uh, encourage you, if you are listening to this, that you also upload the PDF format that has the uh, PowerPoint presentation that I used, and that's on the same uh, talk that Because of recording problems, this is another uh, copy of the talk we gave on 28th of October uh, called The Doorway to Heaven, and I'm excited about this topic, and that's why I'm spending the time redoing it. Uh, To also remind you that on the same uh, website recording tool, there is a PDF that uh, you want to download as well that will give you the PowerPoint presentation that accompanies this talk, and I'll alert you to when I'm going to refer to that. Let's pray. God our Father, we thank you that there is so much more for us to discover of you. There is so much more for us to learn. And thank you that you have given us so much more than we have so far probably received in learning and teaching us how to uh, live this life uh, on earth in a way that is victorious, in a way that is encouraging, in a way that gives us access to your life, your light, your joy and your power. And so we pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to the things that your word shows us and that we will uh, see maybe further than we've seen before as we open your word today and as we look at it. We pray that you will uh, really touch and transform our hearts and lives. We desperately need you and we need more of you. And so we thank you that you say yes to us as we cry out to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to read just a portion from John 14 where Thomas is uh, asking Jesus the question, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And then he goes on a bit later, and he makes these astounding claims and promises to us that he says... uh, but I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And what we want to be looking at today and reflecting upon today is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean uh, to live for Jesus in the culture and the day that we live? And... I think sometimes we get really complicated about this and we spend a lot of time striving. And our focus today is really on the meaning of the cross, which is a very, very familiar cornerstone of the Christian gospel. Uh, But sometimes the cross maybe unwittingly gets in the way and that's what I want to try and address. The cross is actually a doorway between uh, the gospels and the Acts and the rest of the New Testament. The Gospels record the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, record how the disciples were called by Jesus when he was on earth as a man. And how he taught them, how he led them, how he demonstrated to them the life of Jesus and the the, the life of God his Father. And how they began to wrestle and struggle with this incredibly big paradigm shift from what they had been used to, which was an impersonal God, a God who was locked up in the temple, who was locked up behind the priests and the Levites and all the, uh, the religious trappings of the day. And how they had to realign their whole thinking to, be, to understand what Jesus was saying, that God is not locked up in boxes. God is actually a living God. He's the creator God. And he was speaking through this person, Jesus, in quite a revolutionary way. And to be honest, we're all like those early Jewish Pharisees in so many ways. We take little truths of God, we, we wrap Him up in our theologies, and then we say, this is what God is. And God's continually breaking out of, of our boxes. And we're continually having to learn who is in charge. And that's just part of our lives and part of our growth that we need to continually wrestle with. And so in the Gospel, the life and works of Jesus is what is the focus Jesus, the Son of Man before the crucifixion. And Jesus, the only one who opens up a relationship between God the Father and human beings. And in some ways, Jesus is where heaven and earth meet. Heaven is where God is in... Uh, he is the, the Lord, He is the King, He is the uh, the great great I Am. And earth is that place where His creation... Has been hijacked, has been stolen, has been taken over uh, by evil, the Prince of Darkness. And we've talked about that before. Uh, if we look at Eden, we see where God created humanity, God created a perfect place where He could uh, enjoy His creation and, his, and Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve could enjoy what was created. And they were given one rule to keep, and Satan came in and tempted them and lied to them, and basically said, God doesn't mean what he says, he doesn't want the best for you. And they found, to their horror, that God actually was true, and Satan's words, were lies. And as Adam uh, and Eve succumbed to the temptations in that garden, so they also handed over uh, the power that they had been entrusted with under God for the dominion of this world. And so we now have a world that is under the uh, rule the illegitimate rule of the prince of darkness, of evil. And I don't think most of us need to be persuaded that there's lots that's wrong in this world. And part of what we see in this world is that reality being played out. The prince of darkness ruling and drawing human beings into power struggles, into self-centeredness, and into all kinds of manifestations of rebellion. And Jesus comes into this world to say, Well, this actually isn't the truth. You see, there are always two truths. The one truth is the world as I see it, and as I experience it, and as I understand it. The other truth is God's truth, which is the absolute truth. And what Jesus was trying to do was say, your truth might be understandable, but don't spend your life living on your truth. Find out what God's truth is, and start seeking alignment with Him. And that is what Jesus really came to, to help us to do. And He demonstrated the truth, that God, God's purpose for every human being was to live a life that was in alignment with Him and empowered by Him and loved by Him, and that He was the source of all meaning. So when we become a Christian, becoming a Christian basically means that we say yes to Jesus, that Jesus opened up the doorway to, to God the Father, That when he went to the cross and was crucified, he died on that cross for our rebellion, our sin, that which separates us from God, and he basically then rose from the dead and empowers us to live in in a new life, a new way. So the Gospels are about the disciples getting to know Jesus and getting to know about him and getting to know about themselves in the light of Jesus' teaching. At the crucifixion, all their hopes and dreams crashed against that reality where Jesus was killed. And as far as they knew, death was the end of it. They didn't understand that there was something beyond death of much reality. On the third day when Jesus rose again, he absolutely broke apart their whole paradigm of how life is and what death is and who Jesus was. They had hoped he would be a military leader at best. They couldn't comprehend that he could rise from the dead. Quite understandably, this was... (laughs) So the disciples were going through a huge shift uh, in understanding that in fact their lives had changed completely with the resurrection of Jesus. And when he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until they received power, they didn't even then comprehend that what they were being led into was uh, an openness to heaven, an openness to the resources of heaven that Jesus himself had embraced and demonstrated while he was on earth. But it took probably years for them to fully understand just how different life was going to be after the cross and after the resurrection. And what strikes me, and I've been thinking about this over the last while, is how much time we spend in the Gospels, how much time we spend looking at the the, the, the disciples following Jesus, learning about Jesus, learning about how... Uh, he His message was so revolutionary, learning about the power that he demonstrated, the miracles that he did in himself and through, the, and through them as he gave them authority. And then how they came to that cross and how they, their dreams were shattered and they had to uh, basically discover that in their own strength they could not follow this person, Jesus. They could not be what God had created them to be. That Peter is the great example who always inspires us because he is so belligerent and he is so insistent that he is sincerely going to do what God wants him to do in Jesus, and he crashes. And we know how in John's Gospel, he, he, he catches Jesus' eye after he's denied him, when a rooster crows and a girl asks him, are you one of the Galileans? And he says, no. And he catches Jesus' eye as Jesus is being led away by the Roman centurions, and, and we, talk, we hear how Peter just wept and, goes back, and leaves and goes into the darkness, symbolic of despair and evil having won. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he shattered that evil having one uh, truth. It was no longer a truth. It never was a truth, in fact. Jesus exposed evil for what it is. Evil is a parasite. Evil is a, a pirate. Evil is that which takes what God has created and, and distorts it and holds what God has created in prison imprisonment for its own purposes. And Jesus came to destroy that once and for all. And so the disciples are these jars of clay. uh, We we look at the disciples, we look at the the Gospels, and we see ourselves there. And we see and identify uh, with those disciples. Weakness, we see misunderstandings, we see uh, struggles to make sense. But the problem is we stay there. And when we reflect on the disciples, we need to remember that they only spent three years of their lives there. They then spent, Peter spent 30 years at least, on the other side of the cross. And what was he doing on the other side of the cross? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He saw visions. He, he, He healed people. He was incredibly brave. He was no longer this coward. He was totally changed. And the reason he was changed was because he had entered into a whole new dimension of life because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're wanting to focus on. That we too often in the church and in too often in the Christian uh, in our Christian lives live defeated or as at best as survivors, trying our best to hold on until we die and then we can have the pie in the sky. And Jesus came to say, "Well, you can start eating now. Uh, we can start experiencing heaven on earth now." But we need to understand what that means, and that's why we've continually been talking about this overlap between uh, the symbolic the symbolism of Egypt, which is uh, the fallen world. Pharaoh is Satan, who rules that world with authority and demands submission. And the promised land, which is where God is giving the land he is giving his people. And the promised land overlaps Egypt. They're the same land. But once you understand who Jesus is, you understand that Jesus has come into Egypt and says, let's reclaim this land. This is actually the promised land under the rule of a false king. Pharaoh or Satan. And as soon as we understand our identity in uh, in Egypt, we are prisoners who are set free by the rule of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. As soon as we take off our prison clothes and put on Jesus, we have an authority in that land uh, that can, in fact, take it back. That's what we're talking about. How do we live Christian life with authority in Jesus that can actually push back the darkness and proclaim the light? Now that's, you know, one example I think of is is the uh, wonderful C.S. Lewis Narnia series and we we saw one of the movies recently where the children are in their uh, house and they go upstairs to the cupboard and they open the cupboard and they push through the clothes that are hanging there and they push through the back of the wardrobe and they fall into this new environment called Narnia. Now that's like, the back of that cupboard is like where... The Gospels meet Acts, which is Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, is the place where God begins to describe how the early church was formed. And then you have Paul's letters and the rest of the New Testament. Well, the back of that cupboard is like you're walking through the house of those children, which is the, the Gospels, and you come to the resurrection, to the cross and the resurrection. That's the back of the cupboard. You push through that and you come into a whole new dimension of how God wants to work in our lives. It's radically different. It's radically more powerful. There's more life. There's more freedom. Uh, and what we tend to do, unfortunately, is we tend to stand at the cupboard. And we tend to sit at the cupboard and worship the cupboard. And we never enter into the whole purpose of the cross. And so that's what uh, we, want to, we want to understand in a maybe a, a different way. Because the cross is the entranceway into heaven on earth. As Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, "May Your will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven." This is the way it is going to happen. So, if you we're going to turn to the PowerPoint's presentation and maybe just go through this again, and hopefully it'll become more clear because it's a very exciting principle that has enormous potential to transform our lives. So, on page one of the PDF format that you could have downloaded. You will see at the top there, there's there are two, there's a black and a yellow boxes. And on the left is the, the black box. There's a symbol of, of, the, of Egypt, the fallen world, the prison camp, as I call it, which is the world in which we live. And the prince of darkness or Pharaoh or Satan or evil is the one who has most influence here. Illegitimately so. On the right is heaven. The yellow is heaven, the kingdom of God, where God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit reign and rule and they actually reign and rule over the black part, the pharaoh part, but I'm not going to get into, uh, we're not, we're, we're not uh, putting these two on, a, on an equal footing. In other words, um, this is a demonstration of a point I'm making. It's not a claim that evil is on the same level as God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's not even close. Uh, but they're two realms, and the realms in which we live is the realm on the left, the fallen world, the prison camp? Now the yellow and the yellow dot is Jesus, where John three sixteen, you can see there God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God has never relinquished ownership of the world, but in order that he didn't annihilate all that he had created, he had he basically needed to uh, come against evil in such a manner that he overcame evil, but he didn't destroy us. That's why he loved us so much that he came into the world. And that look, that yellow dot there is Jesus coming into the world to show us a little bit of heaven, a little bit of truth about who God is, who we were created to be, and what his purposes are. And so Jesus came into the prison camp, into the place of slavery, and lived as a free person under God the Father. He lived saying, I will not serve Pharaoh, I serve the King of Kings. And because he was so clear about his identity, he had enormous authority. And he really was saying, my authority, the way I live on this earth that you are watching and seeing in the Gospels, is a demonstration of how you can live, because you will have the same resources that I have, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and myself. We will all be available for you to live in a manner that you are unaccustomed to at this point. We scroll down to the next picture, where we have the cross, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, there's a barrier between that black prison camp and heaven, the kingdom of heaven. That barrier is a big brown barrier that I put up there. And that is the, the, the barrier of sin or rebellion. Or, uh, and sin is basically where we say, I'm my way, not God's way. This is my world, not God's. I will do what I want. And eventually there comes a point where if I'm going to know God, as Jesus revealed him. I have to, we call it repentance, which is really just saying, I need to change my mind. I am not the owner of this world. I am an occupant of this world. I am a created being. And my creator is greater than I am. And so Jesus came into the world and said, the way to know God, the way to be reconciled with God, the creator, father, to know his love, is to come to me. And he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, Comes to the Father except through me, and if in fact you looked at comparative religions, you would see the reality of that, which, which is, which is that there is no other revelation of God as personal, as loving, as caring, as a Father, other than in Jesus. No other religion speaks of that. So the cross is where our sin, our everything we have done to cause us to be separated from God, God has actually dealt with. So He's not unfair. He's not vindictive. He basically says, you can't repay uh, the debt you owe me, So, because of, but because I love you, I'm going to repay it for you. The only thing you need to do is to cash it in. You've got to identify with it. And so the cross is the doorway into a new relationship with God. If we scroll down, we'll see again some of the hallmarks of Egypt or life on earth in the prison camp. It's a a life of striving, it's a life of trying to follow examples in your own strength. It's a life of effort, of constant failure, of discouragement, of frustration, of powerlessness. And we could add there, egos, insecurities, um, power trading, uh, trying to get one-upmanship, money. Everything we can do to make life in the prison camp meaningful on our terms and usually not satisfying and in that whole striving on the left in the prison camp, on the right hand side of the promised land, the kingdom of God, there's a kind of huge relaxation of effort. It says, Receive what God has done. Let him change you from within. And there's an effortlessness about the heaven, uh, the kingdom of heaven. There's, there's victory, there's power over evil, there's encouragement, there's enthusiasm, there's the power of God for us to live. It's a very, very different world. The one On the left, the prison camp is all about living in my own strengths with my own effort. Uh, Which is like, uh, I was saying the other day, it's it's like riding a bicycle. You can only get there under your own power. And in heaven there are Harley Davidsons. And and God says, you're actually created to, to ride the Harley Davidson, not just pedal a bicycle on your own. There's a power and an enjoyment and a life that I have for you that is the truth. But that has been sabotaged and you can't see it without Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he basically goes to the cross and he breaks open that barrier and he says, I am the door. If you want to come to the Father, come through me, which is what that next uh, picture is about. And what is, uh, we have heaven, Jesus is Lord, we have the cross, which is the key to open the door. And one of the real frustrations I believe God must have, and we often have, is we can stop at the door. And we can spend our whole lives around that threshold of the door. We can take the key, the cross, and we put it up on the wall and we worship the cross and we thank you, say, thank you, Jesus, so much that you died on the cross for my sin. Thank you that I can know God as Father. And I thank you that you, you live in my heart. And that's, that's a good beginning. That's like turning the key in the lock. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come into the Father, come in. And so at the end of the Gospels... We have the doorway unlocked and Jesus opens it with the resurrection. And he says to the disciples now, let us go in and you will be able to live in a manner that you never lived before in the presence of God on earth as in heaven. All because of what Jesus did on the cross. So the cross is the key to open the door to both reconciliation with God but also to know the power of God on earth as in heaven, which is what Jesus prayed. So that we have an authority in the prison camp that we've never had before. So you scroll down, and there am I, or you, in the presence of God. We've opened the door and we're dancing in the doorway. Because that is an open doorway into the presence of God. Now I come before God and say, Thank you, Lord, that you are my Father, that you are my King, that you have given me all power and authority. It's not mine. I am just a jar of clay. But this jar of clay is now in the presence of the mighty God and he fills me with a treasure and a reality that is not my own. And that's all the disciples experienced. Peter was still a human being, but when he was filled with the power of the Spirit or the presence of God or the life of Jesus, he stood up and he spoke in a manner that he could never have done as a fisherman in the Galilee. And that was, he had walked through the doorway and entered into an identity that was God's inheritance to him. You see... Before the cross, we are followers of Jesus and disciples, and we're trying our best to make sense of it. When we come through the cross, open the doorway, what happens? We suddenly are transformed into members of the family of God the Father. Jesus talks about we will be heirs of the King of Kings. That means... I am welcomed as the prodigal son. You are welcomed as the prodigal daughter. You're welcomed into the throne room of the father. And he says, come to me, my child. Come to me, my beloved. Jesus died on the cross for you. You have said yes to it. I'm so thrilled that you have taken me seriously and received my invitation. Now come into my presence and let me bless you. Let me show you what I created you to be. What I had in mind when you were created. Because your truth has got so distorted in the prison camp, you've lost touch with your reality. And my reality for you is so much more wonderful. And therefore, when we stand in the presence of God, and we stand in the doorway, which is ourselves aligning with the door, with the cross, with God the Father, with Jesus, with His Word, all of those things need to be in alignment. We enter into the presence of God, and we scroll down to the next one, and there's that light pours out through the door into the prison camp. That is the light of heaven, that is the light of the world, that is Jesus, that is heaven's glory coming into where we are on earth. It is the love of God. So the doorway doesn't only open us to enter into the presence of God spiritually, as it were, in heaven. It also lets heaven flood into where we are and allow his presence to be present around us. And that is where healing is found, that is where life is found, that is where victory is found. And that is not full of effort, is it? When you switch on a light, it breaks out into the darkness and the darkness disappears. And we have got caught in this place where we, we, we're haranguing the darkness too much. We're, we're trying to speak into the darkness and we don't have to. What we need to do is to live in the light which is in Jesus in the power of God in the presence of his spirit and the darkness will go. We need to take, and so what Jesus is calling us into is a new authority, a new identity. It's not because we are always going to be these jars of clay. We're always going to be human beings. But we contain a treasure that is a gift to us in Jesus Christ. And it is that treasure that is the key to life. And that is very exciting, isn't it? We scroll down to the next one, and we'll see something. What happens? There's a dot, right, a yellow dot, right at the top of the page. That's Jesus. He's pure. There is nothing that inhibits him in his relationship with God the Father on Earth. The next one is me, which is basically a yellow dot, which is it surrounded by black. The black is my sin, my rebellion, that which separates me from God. And so, when I when I'm in on this Earth before I've met Jesus, I I have the potential of knowing God, but I I'm prevented from doing so by the the rebellion, the sin of my culture, of my family, of my own individual behavior, etc., whether I'm conscious of it or not. But God has placed in every human being His Spirit. And that yellow dot is a symbol of His Spirit in us. And we were talking the other day about how you know, when you go skiing and you, uh, somebody gets caught in an avalanche and they're wearing a GPS system, they can ping that uh, system and that system will sort of ring out from under the snow and somebody can be rescued. Well, God has placed in us that kind of a GPS system, but it's a God system. And he's continually pinging us and saying, Where are you? Come to me. I love you. You are created to be found by me. And eventually, when we come closer to Jesus that ping really resounds deep in our hearts and we go, yes, this is what I was created for. And so we come to the cross and at the cross we say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I ask you to forgive me for what I've done that I, haven't even, I didn't even know I was doing it, but I recognize now that I have lived in rebellion to you. So I just ask you to forgive me and I thank you that Jesus went to the cross for everything I have ever done wrong. Now what happens there? When we come to the cross, you can see that arrow pointing to the yellow little dot halfway through the cross God does something. He starts melting and breaking open the barrier of sin in our lives. Now, we're always living in Egypt and the Promised Land. Those coexist in us, don't they? We, we ne- we're never going to have heaven on earth in all its fullness. So we have this continual tension, this paradox, this a struggle between good and evil that continually plays out in our lives. And God's fine with that. He understands that. But he says you can have a lot more of heaven on earth right now than you've ever had before if you want it. Because what he's doing is reclaiming us because our lives are like the promised land just as much as our circumstances are like the promised land. He says to us, I will give you possession of that land step by step, bit by bit, so that you can reclaim what has been lost. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. God is on a mission through us and in us and that is to reclaim land that has been lost and basically to cast out the evil and cast out sickness, cast out uh, all that comes from the uh, dark side. So through that cross is a huge power to break down the, uh, the hallmark of evil, the evidence of evil, the chaos of evil, and to restore it to what God created. Now, that little yellow dot is a bit like an apple seed, if you like. An apple seed, uh, if you have an apple seed, you can hold it up and you can hold it in the palm of your hand and say, In the seed is the potential for a whole apple tree. Not only a whole apple tree, there is the potential in this seed for a whole orchard. But this seed needs to be planted. And this seed, when it's planted in the ground, all it does is actually receive. It doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to try to be an apple. It doesn't have to try to be an apple tree. All it does is sit in the ground. It receives water. It receives sunlight. It receives nutrients. And as it receives these things, it changes. It explodes from the inside out and it becomes the tree. The roots start growing, the trunk starts growing and it grows into what it never could have been in its own strength. And that's exactly what God was doing in us and wants to do in us on the other side of the cross. In other words, we bring him the jar of clay, which is the seed that we are, with God inside. We place ourselves in the hands of Jesus and we say, Jesus, here I am. I pray that you will do in me what I cannot do myself. And for many of us, we live on the wrong side of the cross, the disciple side, before the crucifixion, where we're trying to be the apple tree in our own strength, and we cannot do it. We're trying to be loving, we're trying to be forgiving, we're trying to be this, we're trying to be that, trying to be joyful, and we just get so frustrated. It's because we haven't taken the key of the cross, and once our sins are forgiven, we haven't walked through into the place where God says, now rest in me, trust me, and watch me, and I will do in you what you cannot ask or imagine. So you can see those little uh, drawings there that I've put in about receive, receive, and the black retreating. If you want to see the power of God working in you, just bring Him your jar of clay. Bring Him your weakness. Lord, I have a problem with anger. Thank you that you give me grace and mercy. Thank you that you're going to change that. Thank you that you're going to grow in me uh, something that will overcome anger in me. You're going to give me peace. Thank you for your peace. And we need to start receiving the nutrients, the life of God that will actually cast out the darkness and cast out uh, that stuff in us that continually gets in the way. We don't have to try so hard. We have to position ourselves and align ourselves just like that seed. We have to place ourselves in the soil of God, as it were, so He can work in us. And it's a whole lot more fun, believe me. So, scroll down to, I think it's page 5 now. And you can see the yellow band at the top, which is heaven. You can see the black band at the bottom, which is Egypt or the, pro- the 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 slave camp, if you will. And you can see the little yellow dots, which is every little Christian being being nurtured by God. And how does He nurture us in Egypt? This is how He does it. You scroll down again, and you'll see the the hand with a, a flower. That's the seed growing. Could be an apple tree. It could be anything. But what's the context in which we will grow? Because this is where we need to make choices. Sometimes we ask God to do stuff and we don't actually obey Him at all. If, we're ga- if God is going to work in us, we have to do our waiting in Jerusalem. We have to basically obey some of the things He says, which is you can't grow a seed if the seed won't stay in the soil. So what is the soil for a, a, a Christian? The soil is knowing the Bible, beginning to read that Bible regularly. So we, we learn who God is and how He works and how He's worked in other people through history. We need a relationship with the Father. We need to learn how to receive the love of the Father who loves us more than anyone else on earth has ever loved us. So that's the paradigm shift right there, that you are unconditionally loved, that nothing you or I do can do will ever make God love us any more or any less. And that is not something we just arrive at. That's something we have to grow into because it's so good to be true. It's too good to be true. We need community. That's part of the soil in which God grows us on earth. We need people on earth that surround us. That's why we need to be part of churches. Imperfect though they may be. We need to be part of a church where we are being nurtured and fostered and growing into the fullness of Jesus. The only thing we need to be aware of, if you go into a church where there's no willingness or openness to the Holy Spirit, that's like putting a seed in the desert. There's no water, so it won't grow. Or you can put a seed in water, which is all Holy Spirit and there's no teaching and there's no no substance and it'll just rot. So there needs to be a balanced environment and a healthy environment and we need to be wise about where we place ourselves. Not everything is equal. We are human beings and as long as we are human beings we need the wisdom of God and the wisdom of one another to understand the best places for growth to take place. So we need the Bible, we need relationships that are healthy around us with the Father and with one another. We need people to challenge us. We need people to bump up against us so our pride gets... Uh, we're not so proud or not so judgmental or not so arrogant. We need one another to sharpen us and to to round off those rough edges. And there's there's far too much in the Christian world right now of people who want ministry and want authority and want to have all the acclaim, but they're not willing to do the work of allowing God to grow them up and mature them. And the easiest way to see immaturity is to watch people in relationships. And immature relationships manifest anger, arrogance, pride, bitterness, uh, jealousy, striving. All the, all the uh, hallmarks of Egypt actually break through a veneer that's called Christian very often. You can tell which is Egypt and which is the promised land very easily by behavior that is manifest under pressure. And we're all a mixture. But God says, if you really love me, you're going to let me work in you to change you. So we need these things. We need to receive from God His Word. We need to receive the love of His relationship. We need to receive the gift of the community in which we live. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us into power and to to release His power in us to bring about change. We need need obedience and we need to learn obedience. And obedience means uh, submitting to one another in love. We need to learn how to receive love, receive forgiveness, receive everything else that God has for us. It's all about receiving. Lord, what do you want? I come into that doorway and I say, here I am, Lord. What do you want for me? What do you see that I need? And others around us, what do you see that I need that will grow me up and make me more effective? Because at the end of the day, God is not wanting to grow a bunch of flowers. He's wanting fruit. And what God's fruit looks like is on the next page at the top, and that is soldiers. He wants warriors. He wants people who can actually take ground and and grow up and live for Him in a manner that has an authority and a dignity and an integrity that the world hasn't seen. That's what the disciples, the early disciples grew into. They came out of this motley crew that basically were terrified of everything into a people who empowered by the love of God, who demonstrated His power, kingdom of God on earth. They also laid down their lives. They learned how to submit. They learned how to walk in authority. They learned how to live in humility. They learned how to live in community. They learned all the hallmarks of heaven as Jesus worked in them and through them. And that's exactly the same as he calls us to be. That's on the other side of the cross. The resurrection side of the cross is about being empowered by the Spirit and living in the presence of heaven. And so we have on that uh, next slide, which is, you see, the, uh, the poor old prisoner there with his, the ball and chain and somebody chained to a wall. That's what life in Egypt is like. That is where we are always overcome. We're always defeated. We're always depressed. We're always struggling. And we say, oh God, where are you? And part of our problem there is our focus is in the wrong place. We need to just come to Jesus and align ourselves with Him. We need to ask each other for help and let Him set us free. The greatest problem the people of Egypt, uh, the, the Hebrews had as they came out of Egypt was learning how to walk into freedom. And the greatest struggle many of us have in the Christian church is how to walk into the freedom of the New Testament beyond the Gospels. We talk about it a lot but we default back into the pre-resurrection time because we're more comfortable there. You see, the post-resurrection into the New Testament itself is more challenging. It's where we have to learn to die to ourselves and allow the God Spirit to grow in us. So, we're coming to the last slide, I think it is, which is... uh, sort of sums this all up. On the, in the center, we have the resurrection on the cross. On the left, we have the Old Testament Gospels. And on the right, we have the Acts and the rest of the New Testament. And the proclamation is that heaven has come to earth in Jesus, who is Lord. The Father's love is released and the power of God is released. On the left of the resurrection, we have Jesus, the door, the way, the truth and the life. The disciples living on earth, following Jesus to the best of their ability, being given the keys to the kingdom, which is, Jesus, you are Lord, and the Holy Spirit is poured out in power, but they have to appropriate that. They have to take that, and they have to, to open that door, which Jesus has given them permission to do. And on the right, there is the life in the Spirit, the life in the hev- of heaven on earth, the life that brings us access to God the Father in the throne room and the King of kings, to some degree anyway, and also the light of heaven spilling through us, casting a shadow through us, that impacts other people in this world but speaks of the glory of God. It doesn't speak about us. It doesn't speak about how great we are. It speaks about how great He is. And that is where Christians will make an impact in the world in which we live, where we are merely jars of clay with an incredible treasure, basking in the light of the King of Kings and demonstrating His healing and His power, not because of what we've done, but because we know where to find the solution. And we are appropriating that in our own lives. That's pretty exciting, don't you think? How do we enter into the fullness of what Jesus has for us? The kingdom of heaven on earth. We we get there by coming into the doorway and saying, Lord, I want to be all that you want me to be. And one of the things we want to ask God is, Lord, who is it you see me to be? Because most of us will be like Moses who said, I, 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 I can't... I can't do that, I can't even, can't even speak, speak properly and I'm scared of Pharaoh and, and f- Pharaoh is the guy I was trying to get away from. And God says, I will speak through you. You are a leader. I see you as a leader. He comes to Gideon who's threshing on a, in a wine press and he's hiding in the smallest, one of the smallest tribes of Israel. And he says, I, I'm a Benjamite, I, I, I'm nothing. And God says, rise mighty warrior. I see you as someone far greater than that, Mephibosheth, who comes into David's presence and says, I'm a dead dog. And, Jesus, and, and, and David says to him, Mephibosheth, you are the son of Jonathan, my dearest friend. You are an heir of the king of Israel. And God says to you right now, He says, I don't just see you as you see yourself. I call out of you a warrior. I call out of you someone who I created. I have created you to be magnificent. And this is not psychobabble. It's not psychological jargon. It's the truth of the God who speaks into our lives and says within you, my dear brother, my dear son, my dear daughter, I have placed a seed that is so powerful that if you will just come into my presence, if you will come and confess your need for me, if you will come and allow me to nurture you as as I nurture seeds in the ground, if you will humble yourself and let other people work with you and in you, I will create in you a person and a character that you will be astounded by. You are called to be a warrior in the king of, for the king of kings. You are called to walk into Egypt and retake that promised land under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that authority is what you have as an heir of the king. It's not what you deserve. It's what you have been entitled to because you've aligned yourself with him and you've said yes to him. Because he already says yes to you. So, Lord Jesus, we bless you and we praise you for the good news of what is beyond the Acts of the Apostles, what is beyond the resurrection. We thank you uh, that you are giving us so much more than we can ask or imagine. We pray for one another that we will be able to allow you to grow in us uh, that which you see us to be, the seed in us that is is truly the warrior that you have created us to be, the conqueror, the one who has life and joy. We pray that we will dance in the doorway of heaven with Jesus and with one another and know the presence of God that casts out darkness. And we pray that you will release among us all a profound sense of identity, of mission, of accomplishment, of joy, of expectation that we've never known before. So we pray that we will unlock Uh, that door with the cross. We thank you so much for it. We always need that every day. And we pray that we will live as those disciples did for most of the rest of our lives in heaven's doorway. And we will see lives changed because we live in the light that is is what transforms us and what transforms others. Casts out demons, casts out sickness and reestablishes Eden and the glory and and the majesty of, of the risen Lord in Egypt, as it should be. Because Egypt is a place that should not exist. It is a place of falseness. It is a place of lies. It is a place where God's beauty has been corrupted. And we want to be part of taking that back and re-establishing the beauty of the risen Lord. So just bless, Lord, each one, as we walk into the fullness of what you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.